0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the
1: question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the 403rd show of ROI, and our guest for today's show is Bill Hempens board member of the Colonel Davenport Historical Foundation, who's going to be talking about the Colonel Davenport Foundation and Historical House. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet, The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsapital, and our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker.
0: This is the opening segment of our show, which we refer to as History is Local, and today we'll be talking about the Colonel Davenport Foundation of Historical House with Bill Hampus, board member of the Colonel Davenport Historical Foundation. Welcome to the show, Bill. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Can you start with us and give our listeners a little bit of a background
2: on Colonel Davenport? Sure. Uh, Colonel Damport came to what was then called Rocky Island. Of course, now it's called Arsenal Island. In 1816, with the building of Fort Armstrong. And um, at first he was what was called a sutler. Um, He basically um, fed the fort. Um, It was easier in those days for the Army uh, to supply far-flung forts with what they needed, in particular in the case of Davenport, the food that the, of course, soldiers had to have. So he mainly sold them food, um, and he did. And he lived at the fort for about a year uh, until he moved into his own log cabin, which is roughly where the, his house is now. Uh, starting in, oh, roughly 1817, um, one year after coming here, he uh, started getting involved with the fur trade, um, and he was very heavily involved in the fur trade uh, for many years, all up to uh, roughly about 1836. Uh, and when he got involved in the basically the mercantile business, where he would sell goods to uh, the settlers who had come into the area after the Black Hawk War of 1832. Um, so he, and he, he lived uh, basically in a log cabin um, from he and his family from about 1817 um, up to about 1832 when he uh, began building a house that's there now okay. um, he unfortunately was uh, murdered um, in 1845 so um, he had a premature end to his life so that Pretty much in a nutshell is uh, the you know the the life of George Davenport. I should mention that he also um, had a, a wife and a stepdaughter, and um, he had uh, two sons and a daughter.
1: Yep. Okay, um, Bill. So I, I guess the logical question is to ask where did the colonel part come from? Uh, number one, and then number two. Um, mm-hmm. How many people were around in Davenport before um, the end of the Black Hawk War? And uh, then how quickly did Davenport grow um, before um, George Davenport's death in 1845?
2: Um, Okay, interesting question. Um, Well, first of all, when Davenport came here in 1816, um, he had just previously been discharged as a sergeant in the regular army. Um, he, 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 uh, going back to 1804, uh, um, he had come here originally, come to America that is, um, as a clerk on his uncle's ship. Uh, and he, he was originally, Davenport was originally from England, um, and he signed on as a very young man onto his uncle's ship as a seaman. Um, And the ship did trade all the way from the Baltic States to Spain and Portugal to America. Well, in 1804, uh, when George was about 21, um, a sailor fell into New York Harbor and was basically drowning. Uh, Ironically, most sailors in those days didn't know how to swim. George jumped into a boat near this guy, a smaller boat, like a rowboat, broke his leg, uh, but managed to pull him into the boat and save that sailor's life. But he broke his leg so badly, he stayed in America. Um, He befriended an Army officer in the U.S. Army uh, and joined the U.S. Army and rose to the rank of a sergeant, Um, and he was mustered out just before coming here as a civilian settler. He was called colonel because during the Black Hawk War, he was um, named a colonel in the Illinois militia during that war, a very brief war, it only lasted about four months. Um, and very appropriately, he was an, uh, an assistant quartermaster in the militia, which you know, basically supplies the troops, which basically was his business. Um, when he first came to the island with the building of Fort Armstrong, um, there was only one white man on the island. Um, A French-Canadian by the name of Antoine Um, Gauthier, But there are about uh, roughly 8,000 Native Americans in the area. 5,000 live in a town called Sockinock, roughly where Blackhawk State Park is. And then there were um, two other villages, uh, one on the um, Illinois side, roughly where downtown Rock Island is, one on the Iowa side, and uh, that's where the Meskwaki lived. And Meskwaki, who lived in those two villages, generally traveled with the Sauk, who lived in Saukanuk. And Saukanuk, on the banks of the Rock River, where Blackhawk State Park is, is where Blackhawk lived. Um, in the later 1820s, um, white settlers started to filter in and started to occupy the lands of the Native Americans of the area, which caused the friction that led to the Black Hawk War of 1832. And uh, basically, um, after uh, once that war was over, the Native Americans of this area were all forced to move west of the Mississippi, which, of course, led to more white settlers coming in between 1832 and 1845, although the, and that's about the time that the town of Stevenson, which eventually became Rock Island, uh, was incorporated, and in 1836 Davenport was incorporated, uh, thanks to uh, Davenport's good friend Antoine Leclerc, who um, suggested he owned some land over there and said, "Well, we'll call this new town Davenport." which, you know, was okay for LeClaire because the town upriver was named uh, LeClaire as well. Um, now, what made the town of LeClaire and the town of Damport so well-placed is that the, the town of Damport was at the basically da- downriver end of a series of rapids, and the town of LeClaire was at the up River end of the rapids, and any riverboats coming up and down the river would naturally stop at the uh, beginning of the rapids. If uh, in Leclaire, if they're coming down from, let's say, Minneapolis, or they'd stop at Davenport if they're coming up from St. Louis. Um, and of course, that'd be an excellent place to have a town because very often they the boats would have to hire a special pilot to go through the rapids. Um, so, those are excellent sites for the towns. However, um, the town of Davenport didn't really grow um, until 1856 when the first railroad bridge over the Mississippi crossed over um, basically from the Illinois side across Arsenal Island or Rocky Island, as they called it then, um, into Davenport. Um, that's when Davenport really started to grow by leaps and bounds when they, when they built that railroad. But, you know, settlers were coming in between, like, say, 1832 and 1845.
1: Do we have any kind of a count? Are we talking a couple hundred? Are we talking maybe a thousand by that point?
2: Oh, to be honest about it, I couldn't give you an exact number. Um, I'd have to look it up. Um, But by 1845, there's certainly, uh, you know, the number was in the thousand, but it grew much greater after 1856 once they finished that railroad.
1: Okay. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
3: The 88.5 FM website keeps you up-to-date with everything KALA, including a complete program schedule for 88.5 and 106.1 FM. Visit KALAFM.org. That's K-A-L-A-F-M dot
0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name
1: is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Bill Hempies board member of the Colonel Davenport Historical Foundation, and we're talking about the Colonel Davenport Foundation and Historical House. Our history buffs for today's show are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. Ed, why don't you start us off?
2: Thanks, Jay. Uh, Bill, you mentioned that uh, Colonel Davenport was uh, killed in 1845. Can you bring us up to date on
1: the history and occupancy of the house since that time?
2: Well, that's that's interesting. Since 1845, His wife, Margaret, died in 1847, leaving his stepdaughter, living there until about 1856. It was at that time, as I mentioned, that they built the railroad, the original railroad bridge, uh, crossed over Arsenal Island and then went to Davenport. Um, if you go to Denport House, you can see the original pillar for that 1856 bridge uh, there. And um, basically, at that point, um, the train, frankly, the trains were making a lot of noise and uh, were very annoying to Susan living in the house very close by. Um, now, at that point, um, She decided that she was going to leave the house entirely, uh, not only because of the noisy railroad, but because the federal government was really making a lot of noises about taking over the entire island. Uh, Fortunately, at one point, they had been able to purchase their property um, and able to, because they purchased it, They were able to sell it later on. Now one thing I should mention, that very briefly, uh, Susan, um, in 1849, was married to a fellow by the name of Jonathan Goldsmith, who uh, had been a a minister uh, in the Episcopal Church, um, who unfortunately was an alcoholic, and when he found a favor with his congregation when They gave him money to build a church and he basically just drank it away um as you can imagine this guy was not the greatest catch when it came to marriage um and so what happened was susan and her uh, son george l um basically decided to make this guy sign an agreement before the marriage that the property would you know clearly stay under their control. Um, anyway, after she'd been married to him for about a year, he they finally separated. He died in 1854, apparently a victim of his own alcoholism. Anyway, moving back to 1857, um, she decided she wanted to move in with her son, Bailey, over in Rock Island, leaving the house basically vacant until the 1860s, when... Uh, The commandant of the Confederate prisoner of war camp lived in it briefly, and also uh, um, the man who uh, was a stonemason who built those beautiful sandstone buildings on Rodman Avenue, the main thoroughfare, uh, lived there briefly. But roughly from, I don't know, about 1866 or so until, uh, you know, uh, uh, nobody lived in the house until um, the early you know twentieth century uh, when finally people decided to they'd wanted to restore the house um, in order to bring it to its original appearance okay.
0: Rick, uh, Bill, how bad a shape was uh, what was left of the structure? Uh, before somebody decided that hey we need to preserve this and who decided we needed to preserve this
2: um okay first of all it, it, it was in bad shape in fact i would have i would guess that it would have been completely gone except for one reason the center part of house which is the main part of house um has big thick logs making up the interior and exterior walls. So even though the outside of the house looked really bad, that part of the house is not going to fall down. However, the other two wings—the west wing, where George had his office, and east wing, which we're not sure what it was used for—we uh, believe that it, you know, when when George's grown children would come with their families, his his son George L came there he would, you know, bring the family. But again, those two wings, east wing, west wing, were made of what we call balloon or frame construction. And they eventually deteriorated right down to the point they just had to be torn down. But it would have been a Herculean effort to tear down the center part of the house because you'd have to demolish those huge oak beams, logs that made up the interior and exterior walls. Because the center part of the house is basically a log house, inside and outside, covered with siding on the outside and plaster on the inside. So, thank goodness, you know, that kept the center part of the house from uh, having the fate of the other two wings.
0: Who decided to uh, uh, proceed to save it and uh, rehab the structure?
2: Well, something some organization called the Old Pioneers and Settlers Association, um, and they really did a pretty good job. They figured, well, we're not going to rebuild the east wing or the west wing. We'll concentrate on making the center part of the wing kind of look the way it did, at least uh, back to the 1850s. Um, and they did a pretty good job by um, by the end of you know World War One, you know, about 19. 19- Nineteen, uh, but um, and they started about nineteen oh seven. But then, roughly for various reasons, for a period of years, you know, the depression, the war years. Um, it wasn't until about eighteen sixty. I'm sorry, nineteen sixty, that uh, the uh, various organizations like the Home Builders and the Questers. Quad City Home Builders and Equestors started to uh, continue the restoration. But um, it wasn't until 1978 that the Colonel uh, Danport Historical Foundation was formed that the restoration really accelerated um, to any considerable degree. Okay.
0: A question. When let's go back to when um the house was being built what was the makeup of rock island or rocky island at the time i mean it's quite a large house one how many square feet is it and uh was it just pretty much a, a, a what was rock island's makeup when this house was created if i may ask
2: okay you're talking about the, the island itself not the not the, not the, the house island. the
0: house and the island itself yes
2: well, um, George um, basically was, like you say, that Antoine Goki was on the island, um, and there might have been um, some squatters, a few squatters on the island, uh, but otherwise it was pretty much um, occupied just by Davenport, um, who owned about 157 acres, and... Um, he mainly devoted the acreage to fruit trees. Um, he had a nice vegetable garden. Um, he must have grown some crops because, you know, th- there's indication that he grew, uh, you know, he had hay to feed his animals. But by 1832, um, there weren't really many other people uh, living on the island. Um, there were some squatters maybe. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later in 1840s uh, that people started to the, the number of people uh, occupying the island uh, began to increase. Um, one factor was there was a fellow by the name of David Sears uh, who on the uh, on the island on the slough, but you know, sylvan slough uh, between Illinois and uh, Rocky Island. Uh, built some mills, um, a grist mill, um, and a, a lumber mill. Um, so he owned property there. Um, in 18 in the 1860s. Um, uh, by the time the arsenal took over the island, um, you know Sears was compensated for his property. Danport was, uh, but most of the squatters are just you know just kicked out. So you could basically, from the time he built the house until finally the 1860s, there was kind of an infiltration of people squatting on the island, uh, hoping, I guess, their occupancy would give them title uh, eventually. But obviously, once the arsenal was built in 1860s, (laughs) they all had to leave.
1: Okay, uh, Bill, so you mentioned that the Colonel Davenport Foundation is uh, put together in uh, the 1970s. Um, <laughs> Correct. Yeah, how did that process happen, and who are the movers uh, and, uh, and prominent people that were involved in making that foundation uh, a reality?
2: Well, I wasn't um, around at that time. But I came to the Quad Cities 1989, but, um, from what I know, uh, one, one of the very, uh, main, uh, movers was a woman who just wrote a book, uh, called Regina Chance about George Davenport. Um, and basically, um, she was definitely a prime mover. Um, somebody else was really important was, uh, Connie Rungi. Um, Nancy Cornish, Joyce Johnston. Um, I'm probably leaving some people out. Um, those are the people I knew were still active when I got involved with the organization starting in 1990. Um, so, um, you know, those those are so definitely some of the main movers. Um, now, basically, if you want to know more about davenport um th- regina Chance is without a doubt the number one expert in the world on george davenport and she just wrote a book called the trader at rock island george davenport and the founding of the quad cities um so any for further um information about the life of davenport and his effect on the quad cities um that's a great source but anyway she uh, was also extremely important in the organization itself. Okay,
0: um, Ed, you got a question.
2: Yeah, um, Bill, can you tell us a little more about the murder of Colonel Davenport? Is it is it known who did it and why? Yes. Um, basically, um, there's a bunch of bandits called the uh, basically called uh, the the banditti of the prairies. Uh, Basically, they were river pirates. They'd go up and down the river. They were even on the Rock River, but also the Mississippi River. And they'd, um, you know, they'd case out a place, uh, steal what they could steal, and then left and went somewhere else where, obviously, um, they'd be less likely to be caught. Um, There were uh, uh, eventually nine people who were um, basically suspected of being involved either before or after in the murderer and robbery of George Davenport. Um, basically what happened is, uh, it's not quite clear how many, but about five or six of them broke in to the house. Uh, Davenport, before he died, gave a pretty good description of three of them, which helped in, in locating them. Um, they took his gun away from him, shot him in the leg, took whatever cash he had on him, and um, they took him upstairs and basically uh, tortured him uh, to try to find out where you know, his his money was. Um, Damport told him about the safe, obviously under duress, um, and they broke into the safe and got about $600 uh, in Missouri banknotes. But that's about all they got. They they took his pocket watch, the gun they shot him with, and eventually they just ran away. Um, A fisherman heard George moaning and groaning, and when he went to investigate, basically found George dying. He'd been shot in the leg um, and bled out rather um, badly, Um, and apparently that was the cause of his death by early the next morning. Uh, they basically uh, performed a series of manhunts by bounty hunters, law enforcement officials, and neighboring states. And as I mentioned, there were altogether, rough, there were nine people who were under suspicion, uh, but they could o- they only found enough evidence, at least evidence that they were convinced of, to uh, hang three of them Um One of them was somebody who escaped um, after the trial. One escaped before the trial. Um, One was, you know, given a prison sentence. Uh, But only three um, were actually hung. And they were hung in downtown Rock Island. Okay. uh, Where um, it was like thousands of people gathered. It was um, one of the big... Um, I hate to put it this way, but one of the big social events in the early history of the city.
1: All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
3: You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. plus Apple podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at tunein.com. Search for KALA HD2.
0: This concludes the 403rd show of ROI Relevant or Irrelevant, our producer and engineer is Dave Baker, our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's
1: Theme, which was written and performed by Mark zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. We'd like to thank our guest, Bill Himps, board member of the Colonel Davenport Historical Foundation. We've been talking about the Colonel Davenport Foundation and Historical House. The history buffs for today's show were Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA.
0: We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pula Nala, Peace, Reign, and Prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.